Hello, 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 and welcome to the Annapurnaverse. And not just any Annapurnaverse, but Annapurnaverse Series 3. That's right, we've got a third season. We were renewed um, because we still have many films, well, not actually too many films, but still quite a few films to get through in Annapurna's catalogue. I am your host, Alex, and joining me, as always is Billy. We're back, ladies. We're back, baby. Get hyped for the last 13, 13 episodes? Yeah, 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. It was not many. It's going to be game over on Annapana. You heard it here first, kids. <laughs> yep. I mean, you're getting us back now, but only to lose us again in the next four months. <laughs> the fact that it's going to take that long is actually really... They're going to release like five new films. We're never going to be free from the the clutches of Annapurna. I think we'll find a way around it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, have you been up to anything nice, Billy? I'm trying to think when our last episode went live. Was it April? Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then the last three months have have been nice. What about what about you? Over there, it over was, the ocean. It was our it was our anniversary special, the twentieth yeah. century women. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, it was just that we peaked. We peaked. Yeah, we, we, were never, like, we can't, never get better than that. We can't do any more. It's just not. It's not even worth it. No. No, that was it. Just no. But anyway, we are back, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's been a few months. Things have happened. Things haven't happened. It's really hot today. Although hopefully you'll be listening to this when it's not as hot of a day as today. Hopefully global warming hasn't got you yet, kids. <laughs> and I had to turn my computer on in 30 degree heat for the film we're talking about today, which is... Twi- Foxcatcher. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I was getting to it. God. All right. God. Dramatic pause. Wow. Go okay. On. I was going to say... Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher from 2014. Well, friends of the podcast, you're in for an absolute treat today because our guest, she's been here before. She's been around. She she was here before against her own will. She was forced here before, but today she she wanted to be here. Yeah. We, we we did promise, if you've listened to um, the Vice episode of the Annapurnaverse podcast, you will recall from the end, or uh, from some point in the episode, we promised uh, our guest today, Lucy, that she would be allowed to return for a film that she actually wanted to talk about, not one that she utterly detests. <laughs> um, so, Lucy, hello. Hello, I was just enjoying your little intro and your little bit of banter there. You know, I was like, when do I come in? But I'm in here now. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, like you say, it's one that I actually enjoy and not one I'm not going to get angry over for once in my life. So I appreciate that. <laughs> we didn't bully you to be here today. No, no, I, this was my choice, I think. We not like- us making Lucy, like, do a disclaimer. I wanted to be here today. I promise. <laughs> I did. And we do get every guest to say that, but we generally edit it out. <laughs> um, but yes, L- Lucy, you are here. I am. For, for, um, for reasons that, uh, you, that you wanted to be here as opposed to, as opposed to being forced. Anyway. I suppose we don't get to ask this question very often anymore. But, mm. Lucy, why Foxcatcher? I think for me it's because it's probably a film that people don't usually associate with me, so this is kind of my chance to t- explain to you why I actually enjoy it. <laughs> um, because I'm not really a sporty person, but for me, I like the story it tells and I like the fact that it's sort of it's very it's a very new kind of um setting for both Channing Tatum and um Steve Carell because they're kind of known for other roles so it was just different for them and I just I like that about it so I guess that's the reason why and it's just something that's you know it's not horror it's not anything like that I wanted to try something different so here I am (laughs) if that makes any sense 
that makes yeah, I love that. complete sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There was also one aspect of this film that we'll probably mention a bit later where I was like, okay, yeah, of course Lucy likes it. <laughs> really? I'm intrigued. Yes. I want to know what that part uh, is. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. No spoilers. Okay, so if you are unaware of what Foxcatcher is, it tells, um, it's based off the true story of US Olympic wrestling champions and brothers Mark Schultz and Dave Schultz, um, who join a wrestling team called Team Foxcatcher that is run by uh, one of, uh, who was, I think, dubbed as one of America's most, uh, or richest people. John DuPont um, in the lead up to the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul um, and I think that's really as much as you need to know about that, of the plot going into it, but it's just about the dynamic between the brothers and their relationship with uh, John DuPont who's played by Steve Carell uh, in the film and kind of the events that took place leading up to the Olympics and afterwards as well. It's definitely one of those films that if you say too much, you kind of ruin it. Give it away. I mean, it is something that happened in real life, so it's not exactly like we could spoil it. True, true. There is this debate. Can you ruin things like The Crown? We don't know. Um, But I suppose it, it might be a story that not many people are familiar with. Yeah. So... Lucy, when was the first time you watched Foxcatcher? It's mm, a good question, actually. Um, I think I'd just seen it doing the rounds on Twitter, as it often does. Um, and then as a result of that, I was like, I'm going to sit down and watch it. And I just thought, because it's something that, like I said, people don't really associate with me. I had also seen things like Rush, which I quite enjoyed. So I was like, I'm I'm in a bit of a sporting hype bit of a biographical hype so why not let's give it a go and yeah I just sat down and watched it by myself and like it is a slow burn so I can understand why people are less enamored by it but I was really enthralled honestly like I I really enjoyed it I thought the performances were incredible and it was a story that at the time I didn't know much about so yeah I guess that's kind of I can't really remember aside from tw- Twitter hype and Twitter discussions, that's kind of why I got into it, really. Very nice. And Billy, yeah. what about you? I remember that was like one of the first years I was getting into the Oscars. And so I was watching everything and I remember seeing it in the cinema in 2014. And Alex, my favourite question. <laughs> when was the first time you watched Foxcatcher? Today, hey. <laughs> he's oh, back on brand. Yeah, it's very on brand for me, of course. Um, yeah, but I tell you what, I really like it though because I think I, having seen it in 2014 and watching it, because I hadn't seen it again since I saw it in the cinema. This was my second time watching it, and it felt like a first time watch. And I was kind of questioning myself, like, hmm, did we? Did we really enjoy this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like the more I think about it, there's just like a lot of of layers there. And I was really surprised the whole time. I was like, oh, this happened. I forgot about this. I didn't know. I just remember like really liking it and being really disappointed that Steve Carell didn't win the Oscar. Lucy, you said you were like essentially enamored by the film. What do you think like drew you into it so much? I guess I, I enjoy sort of, I mean, I love watching like Olympics and kind of, you know, the the successes that like athletes, you know, put themselves through and sort of, and that sort of thing. But it, but it was also obviously DuPont himself, who was a massive fan of wrestling and kind of like living vicariously through the two brothers. And it was just sort of, you know, the kind of the power, the sort of the, the, the shadiness, all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes and sort of, you know, you can be sitting watching the Olympics, but you don't know what's going on behind that. That was really interesting to me because obviously it's an incredibly dark story. Um, and I think, you know, you have the glitz and the glamour. We've just won medals, but, you know, at what cost, if that makes sense? So, yeah, I love sort of, you know behind the curtain kind of thing what's really going on here and kind of like people's people's inner demons and that kind of thing and I think 
the, the more I watched it, the more I was kind of like, how dark is this going to get? And and it, obviously it does. It, you know, by the time you get to that really climactic point in the film, like it's it's awful, really. And all this stuff happens. So it's just, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. There's kind of like this, and I know that obviously, Lucy, you love horror. That is kind of like a, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a horror expert, but I feel like there is kind of that element underneath it of like there's just a constant kind of unknown and something that I really love about this film is how quiet it is and it doesn't want to fill every space with score or dialogue it's just really I don't know there is like something uneasy from the start and you're like what is it like it's like these brothers they're just getting along going through the motions but like underneath it there's just something really sinister and you don't really know what it is until it happens I don't know yeah, that's a good way of putting it yeah yeah I think like you say it's, it's a kind of like a just constant sense of dread really mm. you know um and you kind of you don't want it to happen but you know it will because you just want everybody to just you know have a good time and win the medals and, and that's that but you know that's not how it's going to end and you know it, it's just incredibly bleak and I guess I guess I like stories that aren't afraid to sort of be like you know like I say, you know, kind of media coverage versus what's actually going on behind the scenes. Like, it's it's fascinating to me. I love that kind of stuff. I, uh, right, I'll be upfront and I will say that I really, uh, nah, no. Um, I, I didn't like this movie at all, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think beyond the performance from Channing Tatum, I just couldn't find anything to grasp onto in, in in this movie um i think what you were saying lucy about kind of how it it almost tries to delve into you know what's behind an, an olympic champion athlete and uh, uh, and the behind the scenes of that and like you say something that we we never see at all we only see those 30 seconds um when uh, someone's running on a track or performing their routine in gymnastics or you know uh the two minute swimming up and down a swimming pool you know mm-hmm. there's, there's so much built up in that and i feel like it's such an interesting concept to delve into and i feel like it's such a and there's obviously i mean there there have been horror stories from that, you know coming out at any kind of of time to do with to do with athletes in any kind of olympic sport but um yeah i think to to delve into that is is quite interesting but i don't know whether it go- whether it delves into it well enough or if it really has anything to say about it properly necessarily um it just feels a bit surface level i think um in in that type of thing um i i think like you know there's a massive crime committed in this film but i think the bigger crime is the fact that it was just so boring like (laughs) oh we got spicy takes ladies just like i'm pretty sure i I was kind of watching it and I looked at the runtime and it was it was 25 minutes in and I was like, nah, it's got to have been four hours. <laughs> Which is funny yeah. enough because apparently the director, what's he called, um, Bennett Miller, said that there was a four-hour cut of this film. Oh, that's interesting. That he would have wanted to show audiences. I would like to see that. He apparently just you know cut it down to what 215 which is what it was i wonder if the four hour version would have actually been more impactful yeah maybe yeah. might have actually you know explained things and i don't know whether it was just a bit too ambiguous like because I, I i after i finished watching the film i kind of read a little bit into the true story of of john dupont and um apparently he had like quite a severe mental illness Mm, so this is yeah. something that I was kind of like I did make a note that the film doesn't seem to dislike John Dupont 
Yeah. But, but it, it almost... does kind of paint him like a predator in the sense that like yeah. there's that hyperfixation. There's the moments of literally where they cut the audio entirely and he's like his eyes are focused on something. He has heightened senses. He has like I don't know, like this there is kind of like that though it doesn't paint him as a villain, there is kind of that unempathetic lens. Yeah. That being said, I do not think the film illustrates enough those tendencies to explain the thing that he does at the end, personally. Mm, For me, like, even though the film is, you know, that that comes at, like, the very crescendo of the film, like, it is the, the big moment at the end of two hours and ten minutes or whatever, It's it felt, like, weirdly anticlimactic. Like, it didn't... I just... I don't want to be spoon-fed, but I also don't want it to be like, oh, could he, oh, would he, maybe, I'm not sure. If you know what I mean. Yeah. I think, like, what I will say is I completely understand sort of it feeling like it's an incredibly long film because it does feel that way and it is a slow burn. So, you know, I think I've seen people criticise the pacing of it and that's completely valid because sometimes you just simply just don't engage with, with what it's trying to do and that's that's completely fair. Whereas for me, the way I sort of read it was it was more about like the kind of tedium of like DuPont's life and the fact that he was trying to spice things up with this hyperfixation around wrestling, but yet he was unable to really satisfy what he wanted. Um, he was trying to live vicariously through the brothers, like I said, and he was just trying to do all of these things to the point where what happens later on in the film, which we'll come to, feels so throwaway and so quick because it's just him just lashing out but it's just i don't know how to articulate it. it's more it's just the fact that he's just so bored i think um and i think the film's trying to kind of illustrate that and whether or not it does a good job i don't know um but for me i was just really engaged i, I think Carell's incredible in this i think it's one of my favorite performances of his because everyone's you know th- thinks of like the office or like you know minions or something but like it's just nice to see him do something a lot more serious mm-hmm. um and I just think for me, as a character study, it's it's incredible. And it's sort of like, you know, the, like I said, the tedium, the sort of, if I throw money into this wrestling team, then everything will be better for me. And it, that was not the case. And all that happened was he spiralled further and further out of control. And I, and I guess I just like the way that the film sort of used almost this flat, boring sort of, you know, snail's pace to illustrate that. But hey, you know, I'm, I'm not saying... Alex or I are right it's just kind of how we've read it but for me I liked that choice but I can totally understand why the pacing is an issue for people yeah I think also there's so much of like that tedium captured in the production design with his mum's house being the way it is and it kind of looks like a museum and like his whole property is so it's such like an out of place story to be told in that setting because everything is so like neat and tidy and clean and almost he is as well like in himself like he he he's not very expressive until he is <laughs> like he's quite like inward he's quite an introverted character but he like loves this aggressive sport that's very masculine like you know is associated a lot with like toxic masculinity and i think there is just something really kind of, and what you said about Corel is so true. Like I remember seeing this film for the first time and just being in awe of his transformation. And I think if his voice could have just changed a bit, like he would have been unrecognizable. I think it's just his voice makes him so distinct that it's like, oh yeah, that's Steve Corel. Mm-hmm. If I'd have closed my eyes, I reckon I could have been watching Despicable Me. Stop. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Stop that. Yeah, I don't know. I think that there's something like, I just, I like this. I kind of like the slowness of it. And I love Jay Cassidy as an editor. He edited Silver Linings, American Hustle and Joy, some of my mm-hmm. favorite films. And so like, I think he gets the pacing with kind of understanding the project goal at the end is to, you know, I reckon this was made with awards in mind. And I think that, he kind of not to call it Oscar bait I'm not saying that I'm just saying 
Um, it, oh, it is. It is. Yeah, but this kind of story always is like transformations and stuff like yeah, that. They love yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think that there's something the whole time I was just. And then are we? When are we going to say what happens? Because I need can. to say what happens. So he shoots my, David. Yeah. Right, yeah. you could have said spoilers for. No, people know. People know. Exactly right. So when he kills Mark's brother. It's it shocked. I jumped this time, like watching it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's like a jump scare." It was horrifying mm. because the whole time I was like, "He's just been so quiet." And it's like, I love the use of like hands instead of words. Like they hit themselves, they hit each other, and they don't talk. And then it's like, I don't know. There's something underneath. Where like what I said at the beginning of watching this and being like, "Do I really love this film?" I don't know. I can't make up my mind. Mm. I'm happy I, you mentioned the toxic masculinity bit as well because that's a big part of this film I think <laughs> yes like, a massive just, theme yeah. throughout it's yeah. so interesting to me that like kind of all of the reasons you guys are describing for like kind of why y- you think this film is good and why you like it is kind of the exact reasons why I don't <laughs> in, in, a, in a way like I suppose like if it was meant to be intentionally boring and kind of a bit bland and a bit because it really is like I can't I couldn't like all the way down to the cinematography, the color grading, like it's all just there's no color to it, there's no life to it. Um but I suppose, like you guys said, maybe that's the point, mm-hmm. potentially. But if if you're going to try and make me watch a two-hour, 15-minute film where I, you know, I'm not necessarily familiar with the story and the characters and the, the you know, the people that, um, that these people in real life, then I'm going to need something that's going to help me kind of draw into it a bit easier than what it kind of offers out yeah it's funny because i promised myself i wouldn't compare it to vice but i'm going to anyway <laughs> so yes, the, do it. the reason i like this and i don't like vice is that i think the way vice told the story of um dick cheney that's the name i was looking for um was obnoxious and it was just too like Ha, huh, look at all of this really cringy satire and then Fox Capture does it in a more sort of, you know, subtle and, and slow wave. So maybe there's a middle ground here that we're missing. <laughs> so don't be too obnoxious, but don't <laughs> bore your audience. I don't know. Um but I just think advice to future directors. This just yeah, this just worked for me. And I guess, you know, like I say, I do completely understand why it doesn't work for people. Like, hey, people loved vice. People loved the sort of in your face sort of stupid like gags about things and you know the sort of the um oh god it was just horrible sorry I thought, <laughs> <makes me hard>. <laughs> <laughs> um you know just like the Guantanamo Bay thing just really fucked me off but yeah it's like yeah um stuff like that is too in your face but maybe this needed a bit more of a gut punch I don't know but I guess like Billy was saying about the actual shooting the fact that you know it, it is a bit of a jump scare it comes out of nowhere he just sort of comes up to his car and then you know DuPont is like do you have a problem with me and then shoots him before he can even respond and it's like whoa <laughs> um it comes out of nowhere and I just think yeah yeah may- maybe people expected a bit more of a crescendo that they didn't get but and I, I kind of I kind of really like love that though because I love that yeah. like what I was saying about how they don't speak throughout this like they don't communicate they never have a real conversation about anything and it's Mm -hmm. the first time that he asks a sensitive question and he's like I'm not even gonna listen to the answer I don't care like I'm just gonna Mm -hmm. exactly like he's like I don't care and it's like a a quick reaction to realizing or exposing weakness and it's kind of reflected in his relationship with his mother of like he is constantly seeking something that he doesn't even know what it is. And it's like, he wants approval. He wants love. He wants affection. And it's kind of like the mirror between the two relationships. Cause obviously we have John and his mother, and then we've got the two brothers, Mark and David. And it's like this kind of 
and I don't know because obviously I'm female and I I can't speak from that standpoint as a male I don't know but like from what I don't know just I don't know there's just something about men that they just sometimes don't want to talk about how they feel and I think that like this kind of wants to talk about that but whether it does it effectively I don't know because I'm not a man but like watching it from from my perspective I kind of feel like it does show the harms of refusing to talk about how you're really feeling in a moment here we go I got this (laughs) that's the only Uh, man in the room (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I think you're right actually a little bit I would say um it definitely does shove across the the idea of what not communicating your feelings properly can do and obviously to such a fatal extent I suppose um but then I also feel like that there there are better not better more effective ways of doing it I suppose mm. like I feel like mental health could have been such a big part of this film mm-hmm. but it it's not really mentioned at all yeah everything is like way. almost too too subtle yeah mm. yeah like yeah i don't know it's it's a strange one i don't know if they were a hundred percent sure like you know what was going on with dupont so maybe they were just being a little too cautious i don't really know because obviously, yeah. if it's a real person, you don't really kind of want to, you know, I don't know, be too explicit about things, if that makes sense. But Yeah, and he also yeah. is dead. So. Well, well, yeah, I was just going to say, he was dead at that at the point that made this film. He had been yeah. for like three or four years, I think. It's maybe like trying to like do it respectfully and not kind of be like, this man has diagnosis here, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it, it needs to be that. But I no. suppose 20, even 2014, which is nearly 10 years ago now, was still such a different time, wasn't it? In, Ew, don't say in that. In Hollywood. So gross. 2014. <laughs> <laughs> like, that. I mean, it's 2022 and we still struggle to to feed like respectful and uh, deep and interesting stories about mental health into mainstream Hollywood films or TV shows or whatever. So mm-hmm. I can imagine that in 2014 it was probably an impossible job. <laughs> um, yeah. So I can kind of see why it doesn't, but I must say I think it maybe would have made it a lot more interesting if if mental health was part of the conversation, especially considering that it's framed around like Olympic athletes who probably you know struggle with mental health issues. M- like ratio wise quite a lot yeah yeah it's quite grueling to have to go through that and then like on a world stage mm-hmm. and have and everyone's cr- yeah. yeah everyone's opinion about you you know out in the wilderness and you know especially if you don't live up to the standards that people hold you to which i suppose is um kind of what we get from the perspective of Channing Tatum's character from Mark, I think he's called Mark, isn't he? Yeah. Um, a little bit. <laughs> um, I think there's also like a nice criticism about um, patriotism underneath, which I really liked. Yeah. There <sighs> yeah. he goes. He's like, nah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Again, it just feels very surface level and like, it's. It, I get. Uh, Mm, it's put I know why it's in this in the film and why it's in the story but again it just doesn't feel like the kind of so maybe we're feeling the kind of after effects of a four-hour cut being made into half that's <laughs> um, what you're yeah, saying <laughs> I mean, potentially yeah I it, it I, not that I'd watch a four-hour version of this I think I'd rather <laughs> anyway stop um, um but i'm gonna say like i think you are right in terms of like that it is interesting that it's framed around like john dupont being patriotic and kind of like his love of his country and 
it's, it's a love of a country that doesn't love you and that's what I really love about it is like he's wealthy yeah. sure and he yeah. has all the things on the surface which are great for America but he is yeah. mentally ill and he is not that's you the know thing though, isn't and it? that's like, not explored properly I guess but I don't know there is something there technically like he's a rich white man in America he shouldn't have a problem with America because that's what America is for rich white men so it's weird like yeah valid criticism but but i suppose every every person's um experience is individual and his experience with like his his parents and being part of the the dupont family and all that kind of stuff probably affect affects the way he personally sees things but yeah i don't know it it did feel a bit weird like uh oh i don't think america's that great anymore but it's like well it's not like america isn't great for you though is it yeah, I, I think it, it's an interesting conversation because obviously DuPont has everything that he could possibly want and obviously, you know, the country's given him everything that he could possibly want. So, like I say, it's it's the... He's, he's really bored, honestly. And then he's got this, like, mental illness to contend with and all the stuff he's dealing with on his own because it's not really, you know, people aren't really aware of it. Like, I know that in interviews they were like, oh, it was so out of character for him to shoot somebody. And it's like, but he did, though. So we need to explore the reasons why. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I just don't feel like it explores the reasons mm. why enough. Any... Well, I, I guess, I guess it, it it makes you frustrated, and I think that's for good reason though, because these reasons weren't explored by even his own family, who were just like, "Oh, he would never shoot anybody," and it's like, "But he did." Yeah, suppose. He did do, that. do you know what I mean? And so I suppose that feeds into the mental health debate as well, and how probably in the eighties it wasn't taken as seriously as it would have been today. Yeah, and I think that there's, like, this thing of he, this idea that we're always chasing something in this life, something better, and better has, like, a massive question mark over it, and that no matter how much you have, no matter how much you think that you, you know, you achieve the things that you want, if you don't have a good foundation in life, as in, like, if you don't have people around you who sincerely love you, not the things that give you, like not the things they give you it's like I think I think that this film is so subtle that Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to just sit and kind of dig out what you take away from it and that's kind of what I've taken away yeah I was just thinking yeah just off the top of my head like DuPont seemed to be very lonely as well and I think you know if we're kind of going to analyze reasons why he may have done what he did he was you know he looked at the brothers and their relationship and then obviously um Dave was married as well so maybe he had some envy around that and the envy around the fact that he had this massive sort of estate and it was kind of just him for the most part um and I, I don't know I just think it, it leaves a lot of open-ended questions that I personally enjoy but I can you know, again, I can see why people would kind of want them explored a bit deeper, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think, yeah. like, um, Billy, like you said, you know, about um, always kind of prying for something more mm-hmm. is interesting because I suppose in terms of, like, a 1980s American man, Dave Schultz did have it all. He had a gold medal from the Olympics he had a family, a wife, mm-hmm. and loving children. Um, so it's interesting that he kind of not only got drawn into the whole situation, but then ultimately lost his life because of it. Even though he had, like, what you explain is everything that people want. Yeah, and I think he's the only person who is kind of open to being real with himself because he seems the most mentally well in this film um out of the the three leads and I think that something I see in John DuPont is kind of wanting to be David he's got this obsession with David and then he even kind of there's this really great shot that happens after Mark wins I think he, I don't know if he like wins a medal or something, but then like he goes over to John and he, and John holds him the way that David holds him. And it's like that, I don't know, that is something really kind of, I know that I said that it kind of has a lot of unempathetic lens on it, but there is a moment. And there's also 
a great like empathetic shot when um Jonah Pont's having his first wrestling match. I wanted to cry during that bit, like watching him kind of there's like this small amount of like joy on his face that he's kind of achieved something that he like worked for because it's not a natural given thing to him like it's not money that was just given to him as he grew up it's not horses like you know when he like takes the horse off of the shelf and he's like horses are stupid like there's nothing just I don't know this like accomplishment this like fulfillment but then we don't see that happen again like we don't get another moment of him kind of fulfilling something that really I don't know I'm just like rambling now about things I really do like about this film but wait sorry you mentioned the the wrestling match that John takes part in yeah he has his like one match with that one guy yeah the like the over 50s thing yeah yeah wasn't wasn't it mentioned? I don't. Am I wrong in thinking that the his opponent was paid to lose? He was paid to lose, yeah. Yeah, but like that's the thing is that he. Oh wait, sorry. Maybe I've missed something massively. <laughs> Either <laughs> way, yeah, because you were saying how it's like this moment of thingy, but like he's 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 had to achieve it through. The way the ways he's been taught. Yeah, but for a second he gets that kind of like perception. Do you know what I mean? I think it's a very good point, though. I think even though the opponent was paid, like Billy says, it's almost like wrestling is his only sort of sense of of happiness. So you know, it is. Mm. It's again, it's a hyperfixation. It's not even an interest. It's something at this point he's obsessed with. You know, yeah. he's got like you say, his horses. He's got like his estate. He's got everything. You know, he could do what everyone's, but it's. <laughs> it's wrestling with this random dude that was paid to lose against him that brings him joy, which is really sad in a way, isn't it? Like, you know, if you have to, yeah. it's just sad. And I suppose it is interesting that it kind of loops back to how his mother paid for a child to be friends with him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I don't that's know. Cyclical nature of of being it's kind brought of up like, by and I guess kind what of... the phrase money can't buy happiness really means like obviously we can all laugh at that and be like oh for fuck's sake of course it can yeah (laughs) but you know i think when you have that much money and if you are that sheltered and unlikable that you have to pay people to do things for you that's when it doesn't bring you happiness you know to the point where you (laughs) like you say like paying someone to be your friend isn't that's that's not happiness you know Mm. and it's sort of it's it's almost criticizing you know (laughs) You know, people that 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 would do that for their child because that's just that's just depressing, really, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also this idea of like his mother kind of expecting him doesn't understand why he can't be happy, and it's like, well, you've get like you've kind of nurtured this from the start by paying someone to be his friend Mm -hmm. from a young age. You're kind of teaching him that the only way there's no fulfillment outside of of money and I think that I just would really love to know how this how the director kind of navigated articulating different parts of the character story to each other and like how much Mark Ruffalo and how much Channing Tatum knew about what Steve Carell knew about his own character and like those kind of things are really interesting to me because I think that there's a lot of internal work going on throughout this film but in in everyone's minds like they're all going through something I don't know I can just really I feel like Maybe it's like it would be a really interesting stage play. Oh yeah, I'd love to see that actually. Well, speaking of uh, Steve Carell, um, let's talk about the performances. Mm. May as well start with Steve Carell. Um, apparently, he watched like hundreds of hours of footage of John. Oh Paul wow, that makes sense to, to get in. Mm to the mindset and the role um mark ruffalo also said in an interview that um the rest of the cast wouldn't speak to to steve carell during uh, uh, sorry between takes and stuff because he was just that scary oh, i mean i'm not sure about the mental health of that set um stuff like that but i don't know how i feel about like method directing especially in horror movies it happens a lot like i remember not a bang on about my favorite film but everyone sort of avoided anthony hopkins and silence of the lambs because he was too he was just too creepy yeah <laughs> so i think i think people get into that headspace unfortunately whether it's, whether it's fictional or otherwise 
Mm. So I can see why people would be a little on edge around Karel, to be honest. Mm. So I think it's quite a one-note performance. No, I'm, j- I'm joking. Oh, here um, we go. I'm not having that. I'll kick him out, and it could just be me and you, Lucy. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's like breaking the bank or anything. Um, and I, I'd like to see who won the Oscar over him that year. Actually, I'm gonna let me find out for you. Um, but I, the only moment where I genuinely was like, okay, get it, King. Um, was the moment that the shooting I think it's the only point where I was like right this is actually a little bit terrifying Eddie Redmayne theory of everything oh uh, yeah. yeah and who else was nominated uh, let me find out for you so Steve Carell, Bradley Cooper um... oh Benedict Cumberbatch is that no? Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch and what was that for the imitation game? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. You should have won that, not gonna lie. Oh well, there you are. Mm. Oh, Michael Keaton for Birdman. Actually, they were... yes. that, was a great, yeah, that was a really great. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Wow. So Eddie Redmayne, Theory of Everything, Steve Carell, Foxcatcher, Bradley Cooper, American Sniper, Benedict Cumberbatch, The Imitation Game, and Michael Keaton, Birdman. Yeah, and then we had actor in a supporting role, Mark Ruffalo, um, Foxcatcher, and J.K. Simmons it, on for Whiplash. It was well, yeah, oh. rightfully so. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was nominated for five Oscars, right, mm-hmm. or four? Um, um and it's a. Uh, I was seeing that it got nominated for best director, but didn't get nominated for best picture which is one of only a very select amount of films that that's ever happened to. Mm. Yeah, so Makeup and Hairstyling, Original Screenplay, Best Director, uh, Best Supporting Actor and Best Actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised it didn't win Makeup and Hairstyling. It's usually in the Academy's back to okay. give Sorry, it to someone going, like this. If we're going back to Steve Carell, yeah. Um my one um criticism, my one um gripe with Steve Carell and the makeup. Usually I'm kind of all in on the whole like, yeah, go on then do a transformation as long as it's not a fat suit. Um But if you're going to put makeup on Steve Carell to make him look like Alan Tudyk just cast Alan Tudyk. <laughs> because I'm looking at the poster here and he looks exactly like Alan Tudyk. Like, literally spit, <laughs> spitting image. I don't know who this is. So I'm going you know to who Alan it. Tudyk is? I probably do, but I'm so bad with he played, names. He played the pirate in Dodgeball. <laughs> oh, then yeah, of course I know Lost who he is. <laughs> yeah. Shout out, shout out to the Vince Warnathon. <laughs> You guys know what's up. Um, he's been in he's been in quite a few things, but but yeah. How did I not know that that was his name? Alan Tudyk, yeah. I just know him as Steve the Pirate. Steve the Pirate. Um, but yeah, no, that that's just a silly thing. Wait, hold on. He also looks nothing like him. What are you talking about? Have some respect for Steve the Pirate. No, trust me. Oh dear! Trust me. In this in the picture on Letterbox that I'm looking at right now, spitting image. I think we need I mean... to do a poll and ask Twitter what they think. Yeah, guys, settle it a bit. Is this Settled Steve Carell or Alan Tudyk? Stop it! Oh my god! I thought I remember seeing this and thinking this is like the greatest performance I'd ever seen. Oh, again, oh, really? Oh, but I was I was like 17 or 18 years old, so I had not seen. I had been into film for about zero years at that point oh, right. because I was studying it at A level. So you hadn't seen Joaquin Phoenix in Joker then? <laughs> at that point. Oh my god. Spicy mood today, I love it. <laughs> he is trying to throw like gas on a burning fire. Honestly. Uh, okay, so um I'll throw I'll throw in another one. 
I personally think that uh, Channing Tatum was uh, gave the best performance in this film. I mean, he did well. Like, I think yeah. they all did. Yeah, Channing Tatum was fine. Um, oh. Lucy's got the spicy take now. <laughs> but I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just felt like I was just so involved with 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 Steve Carell. I just think maybe it's because he was so different to what I was used to, and my brain was like, I, I like this. Yeah. Um. But no, they they were all good. They were all good. But you know, they bear bear in mind they're playing like real life people. It's it, the pressure's on. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously that year, as, as Billy pointed out, with all the different uh, like best actor nominations, it was mostly biopics. Not gonna lie. Yeah. So you know, you had like you had like you know Stephen Hawking, Alan Turing. Um, but yeah, it's just mad that you know you, you kind of have to be like, well, we're telling the story of someone today, then they're real, so don't fuck it up. And it's like, well, and I, I think they did a really good job with what they had, and I have seen footage of of the actual like wrestlers in person. And yeah, I've got no major complaints, but Carell kind of knocked it out of the park for me personally. Uh, like I say, maybe it was just because it was just so out of, you know, it wasn't like it was The Office or anything. So, mm. you know, it was just really good for me. Was this his first, I feel like it was like his first dip into non-comedy. I don't know, potentially. I mean, he's done it again, but I think you kind of run the risk of getting a bit typecasted, don't you? I mean... Yeah, that's. I think that that, or at least that had what was what I had seen of him was like a lot of comedy and I think there was just really everyone was like raving about the fact that it was like oh, he's not funny in this yeah so he's been in he's been in things like the big show and obviously vice yeah I did like I did like him in vice I did I mean I mentioned that in your on your podcast I did like that performance um yeah. but again they have more comedic elements to them you know it's kind of yeah. like so like, like a dark comedy whereas there's nothing funny about Foxcatcher at all and those were after this right it was after that, yeah, with yeah. him afterwards. But yeah, but it was just nice to see him doing something beyond beyond funny, I guess. Mm. I do yeah, want to I mean, shout he did, out. Um, he did Beautiful Boy as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was again after this. I was like, this was his, this his was his ability thing. to break the kind of yeah. I, I suppose he wasn't like massively funny in in Little Miss Sunshine. Per se. No, no, but it is a comedy. I would say. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Not in this kind of style that we're used to him being, but. No. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I feel like that was the conversation around it. it was like, mm. oh, we're seeing Steve Carell like we've never seen him before, and then like if he were to do this now, I'd be like, oh, he's kind of moved into more non-comedy roles. Like it's not as surprising so I think that that's like kind of speaks to like what Lucy was saying about all eyes were on Corel because it was like his breakout role which is so yeah. stupid to say because it's not really his breakout role but like... kind of like <laughs> Melissa McCarthy in um <gasps> don't that performance me. I will never ever ever forgive the academy for not awarding that performance it was so good so, so good, good. I need I need a rewatch of that it's such a good film wow. it's such a good film I'm Richard E. Grant oh my gosh yeah my heart brilliant so nominated for five oscars won no oscars uh yeah back to the annapurnaverse uh, the annapurna pictures trend of um yeah not, and they're really in their bag here them. with a true story moment yeah not um serving their films very well during award season um this is in the early days like this is the first three years of first yeah. four years yeah I think it's still good that it got nominated, I suppose, but Yeah, I think with with like I do I think it deserves deserved to be nominated for so many awards? Probably not. Well but, as much as I love But again the film, film is like, deserve to win them because that year was too strong. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like the other, the other like nominees were were very very strong, so I can understand why it didn't. Just having a look now, it's very interesting. Right. Um. Is there anything else we would like to say about Foxcatcher before? I think we, there's uh... one thing I wanted to note. Yeah. Um... Go ahead. Take it away. I'm just really interested to kind of maybe watch this again in a few years' time and see if like. 
Because I think it is so difficult to watch films because obviously a lot of these ones that we are watching for this podcast are made for a different audience. Like I don't think audiences are the same that they were almost 10 years ago, <laughs> which actually pains me to say every single time I'm going to say it. I don't know. I think that like it, there's a lot to be said about seeing this film now and seeing it in 2014 and kind of, and I think we think that about a lot of Annapurna films and we note that a lot is that like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we're learning things about Annapurna and the types of stories they commission. Well, yeah. I mean, we've said this before, I think in the past about how, even though on the surface, like if you were to go onto the Annapurna website and look at the films, just a, a little bit of a glance, mm-hmm. you kind of go, oh my God, this is like such a massive breadth of different genres, different filmmakers, different everything. Like it's so eclectic. But actually when you go deeper down, like we have been doing, you actually realize that they're more connected than you may first think yeah no I agree I think that there's like a real kind of clear vision that Megan Ellison has as like a producer of like the kind of stories that she's interested in telling and I think that this really does fall into what she was interested in at the time and kind of bringing these stories and I I feel like a lot of Annapurna's films and I'm going to contradict myself here but like a kind of a head of the time that they're released for and aren't meeting audiences where they're supposed to because they're not ready for it and I say this like with 20th century women in mind Mm -hmm. of like that was in 2016 so that was kind of before the cusp of Hollywood kind of being interested in women I was just gonna say I reckon if Booksmart came out this year oh yeah I reckon rip-roaring yeah yeah but I think that what I found interesting in this is like there's a real kind of because social media existed in 2014 but it wasn't what it is today and I think that there is this um theme underneath it of like watching and like I've written down that it builds this world where people watch and are watched without consent and I think that that's a lot to do with like how John DuPont kind of watches the men and watches Mark. And a a lot of this time, like a lot of the time he's not aware that he's being watched. And it is kind of this external pressure of like people always watching you when you put yourself out there in the media. Cause this is, it's a form of media. Like the Olympics is, is media as much as it is sport. Like, I don't know that. I think that there's just a lot. I don't, I get really frustrated when we talk about, Anna Perna's streak at the Oscars and Academy Awards and things like that because I'm just like they're really good films and they're really they're really interesting and they talk about interesting topics that we should kind of want to accolade but they just don't translate and I don't even know if it is money I feel like it's just people not ready to kind of talk about the things that these films want to talk about it is interesting that you mentioned sort of what would happen if it was released a bit later. I think especially now, like, you know, in the past few years, especially over lockdown, there's been a massive, like, true crime boom as well. Mm. It would be interesting to see if this would have slotted in or if it kind of would have got swept under because there's some rubbish true crime. Like, there's, there's true crime dealt with in really bad ways or just filmed sloppily or sensationalised. So it would be interesting to see how this would, would work because it is essentially true crime. Um mm. But at the time of it being released, I don't believe true crime was as huge as it is now. Um, obviously That's there were stories around it. There were stories around it, but there was never like there wasn't like Netflix originals about like entire cases, you know. So yeah. Mm. Um. Now I don't want to be the last uh, the last <laughs> word on this because it isn't going to be a positive point. Um. So we'll we'll circle back to you two after I've said this, but I will say that um friend of the podcast uh claire uh replied to uh, a tweet that i retweeted from the annapurnaverse twitter um and i her sentiment on the film i completely agree with and that it is a complete wasted opportunity oh that's damning 
it is That's very really but, but but yeah but um but yeah i i think i think it is it's true we do uh, also have someone saying i should watch this again yeah so <laughs> it's yeah. not all hate no no but but what i'm saying but yeah i i agree with claire on on that point i think um but is it a waste of opportunity back. or just like came out at the wrong time um I suppose, like you said, if it was made today, it probably would have dealt with some of the issues surrounding the the, the, the true story um, uh, with, you know, a bit more at the forefront. So, yeah, potentially. But even then, like, mm. this film was made and released at that time and th- th- there's nothing we can do about that. So, no. I want to research how much people kind of went into talking to, like, what? Do, how did they learn about John Dupont? Is what I'm interested in knowing. Is like, who did they speak to? Where did they find that information? If he yeah. really didn't have anyone in his life, like, who was really advocating for him? You know, as yeah, someone what, very, for yeah, him? exactly. I think it may have been. Um quite heavily based off a book that mark schultz wrote yes yeah and therefore you have like you have a lens on it already like this is not an objective film this isn't interested in yeah but you know if that was all that was available to them i i just don't i don't know like i feel like he it's interesting that they weren't credited equally as leading actors because I don't think it really, as much as it is his story, because it is kind of about Dupont, I don't think he he's solely, there's too much of the brothers in there for it to, for them not to be credited at the same level. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Right, well, there we have it. <gasps> Episode one, season three. Episode one of season three, <laughs> done, in the can. Thank you very much, Lucy, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. And uh, before we go, where can people find you? They would like to. Yeah, if they want to get more spicy takes, um, I'm at Lucy Jade Buglis on Twitter and Instagram is just at Lucy Buglis. I do have a podcast, but it's it's coming back eventually, um, which is at TV Time Pod. But I just need to sort of give myself a kick up the arse and actually edit things, but I will. I'm not as on it like you guys. <laughs> well, Honey, I mean, <laughs> preaching to the choir on that one. Though. You're recording right now, which is more than I've done in a while. So. <laughs> yeah, and Alex and I both have episodes over there that you should go we listen do. to. We do very, uh, very good episodes about iconic British television. Well, in my <laughs> case, anyway. Yeah. Um, ah, yes, yes, you do. You, you, actually, both, both iconic episodes, Catfish and uh, Come Down with Me. So yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two reality, well, reality and game shows. Yeah. Yeah, come down with me is as much reality as it is. Anyway, um, okay. <laughs> no, we wait, we can't leave people in the dark. We have to explain why we're not doing. Oh, of course. Will, Sorry, will yeah, I was just going to go and not explain. So, if you are a long time listener of the Annapurna verse, you will know that we have a, a wheel, a wheel of fortune, a wheel of fortune and fate that we spin every week to pick the film. Um, This was an idea that worked more when there was more films to choose from, I think, personally. Uh, But as the films have started started to whittle down and whittle down, and we kind of have to be more picky and choosy about who, you know, who's coming on to talk about each film. um, It just makes sense for us to now go forward and just- Surprise you. Yeah, just do whatever we want because a little, you know a little surprise each week. It's our podcast. We can do what we want to. So, R.I.P. The Wheel, twenty twenty one to twenty twenty. The wheel may return sometime in the future, but we we couldn't possibly divulge yeah. when. Yeah, <laughs> for reasons not to be disclosed. Well, there we have it. Thank you again, Lucy, for for coming on again, um, and. Uh, this has been the Annapurnaverse. Goodbye. Go- goodbye. Oh no, 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 no. We need Lucy to say the immortal words. <laughs> <laughs> We're forgetting our own format. <laughs> Wait, what? 
you need to um you need to end the podcast by saying we will see you across the Annapurnaverse. Okay. We will see you across the Annapurnaverse. Oh, 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 oh,